Hi, this is season two of Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Season two is A Practical Treatise of Fear by John Flavel. Today, part two, starting a little bit back where we ended last time, where he says, this is the general scope and design of the text, wherein more particularly you have, number one, an evil practice prohibited, number two, an effectual remedy prescribed, number three, a singular encouragement to apply that remedy, one, an evil practice prohibited. Fear not their fear, neither be afraid. This is that sinful principle, which was but too apt to incline them to do as others did, to wit, to say, a confederacy. Sinful fears are apt to drive the best men into sinful compliances and indirect shifts to help themselves. Their fear may be understood two ways, one subjectively, two effectively, one subjectively for the self-same fear wherewith the carnal and unbelieving Jews feared. A fear that enslaved them in bondage of spirit, a fear that is the fruit of sin, a sin in its own nature, the cause of much sin to them, and a just punishment of God upon them for their other sins. Two, effectively, let not your fear produce in you such mischievous effects as their fear doth to make you forget God, magnify the creature, prefer your own wits and policies to the almighty power and never failing faithfulness of God. If you say, but how shall we help it? Why, in the next place, you have an effectual remedy prescribed, but sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and your dread. The fear of God will swallow up the fear of man. A reverential awe and dread of God will extinguish the slavish fear of the creature. As the sunshine puts out fire, or as one fire fetches out another, so will this fear fetch out that. By sanctifying the Lord of hosts himself is meant a due ascription of the glory of his sovereign power, wisdom, and faithfulness, not only in verbal and professed acknowledgments thereof, but especially in those internal acts of affiance, resignation, and entire dependence on him, which as they are the choicest respects of the creature towards its God and give him the greatest glory, so they are certainly the most beneficial and comfortable acts we can perform for our own peace and safety in times of danger. If a man do really look to God in a day of trouble and fear as to the Lord of hosts, i.e. one that governs all the creatures and all their actions, at whose beck and command all the armies of heaven and earth are, and then can rely upon the care and love of this God as a child in danger of trouble reposes on 
and commits himself with greater confidence to the care and protection of his father. Oh, what peace, what rest must necessarily follow upon this? Who would be afraid to pass through the midst of armed troops and regiments whilst he knows that the general of the army is his own father? The more power this filial fear of God obtains in our hearts, the less will you dread the power of the creature. When the dictator ruled at Rome, then all other officers ceased, and so in a great measure will all other fears, where the fear of God is dictator in the heart. This is the remedy. Number three, and to enable us to apply this remedy in the worst and most difficult times, we have a singular encouragement proposed. If we will thus sanctify the Lord of hosts himself by such an acknowledgement of and childlike dependence on him in many times of danger, then he will be to us for a sanctuary, asili loco, i.e. he will surely protect, defend, and provide for us in the worst times and cases. Then will the Lord create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from the storm and from rain. Let the winds roar, the rain beat, the lightnings flash. You are in safety and have a good roof over your heads. Hence these two points of doctrine offer themselves. Doctrine one, that the best men are too apt to be overcome with slavish fears in times of imminent distress and danger. Doctrine two, that the fear of God is the most effectual means to extinguish the sinful fear of men and to secure us from danger. These two points take in the substance and scope of the text, but because I design to treat in the following chapters of the kinds, nature, uses, causes, effects, and remedies of fear, I shall not distinctly prosecute them but proceed in this order in the following chapters. Chapter 2 Wherein the kinds and nature of fear are opened, and particularly the distracting slavish fears of creatures. Section 1 There is a threefold fear found in man, viz. Number 1. Natural Number two, sinful. Number three, religious fear. Number one, natural fear, of which all are partakers that partake of the common nature, not one excepted. Natural fear is the trouble or perturbation of the mind from the apprehension of approaching evil or impending danger. The word, Greek word, comes from a verb that signifies 
flight. This is not always sinful, but it is always the fruit and consequent of sin. Since sin entered into our nature, there is no shaking off fear. No sooner had Adam transgressed, but he feared and fled, hiding himself among the trees of the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. When he had transgressed the covenant, he presently feared the execution of the curse. First he eats, then he hides. And this afflictive passion is from him transmitted and derived to all his children. To this natural fear, it pleased our Lord Jesus Christ to subject himself. In the days of his flesh, he was afraid, yea, he was sore amazed. Mark chapter 14, verse 33. For though his human nature was absolutely free from sin, yet he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans 8, 3. This fear creates great trouble and perturbation in the mind. 1 John 4, 18. Fear hath torment. In proportion to the danger is the fear, and in proportion to the fear, the trouble and distraction of the mind. If the fear be exceeding great, reason is displaced and can conduct us no farther. As the psalmist speaks of mariners in a storm, they are at their wit's end. Psalm 107, 27. Or as it is varied in the margin, all wisdom is swallowed up. And this is the meaning of Deuteronomy 28:25, That they should go out against their enemies one way and flee before them seven ways. I.e. so great shall be the fright and distraction that they shall attempt now one way, then another, striving every way, but liking none. For fear so far betrays the suckers of reason that their counsels are always in uncertainty and at a loss. And the usual voice of a man in this condition is, I know not what to do. I know not which way to turn. Evil is the object of fear, and the greater the evil is, the stronger the fear must needs be. And therefore the terrors of an awakened and terrified conscience must be allowed to be the greatest of terrors, because in that case, a man hath to do with a great and terrible God and is scared with apprehensions of his infinite and eternal wrath than which no evil is or can be greater. You see at what height Christ's conflict wrought with it when it made him sweat, as it were, great clots of blood. Of all temporal evils, Death is the greatest, and therefore Job calls it the king of terrors, Job eighteen, fourteen, or the most terrible of terribles. Thuanus relates two strange instances of the fear of death. One of a certain captain who was so terrified with the fear of death that he poured out a kind of bloody sweat from all parts of his body. Another is of a young man condemned for a small matter by Sixtus Quintus, who was so vehemently terrified with the fears of death that he shed a kind of bloody tears. These are strange and terrible effects of fear, 
but vastly short of what Christ felt and suffered, who grappled with a far greater evil than the terrors of death. Even the wrath of an incensed God poured out to the full, and that immediately upon him. But yet evil as evil is rather the object of hatred than of fear. It must be an imminent or near approaching evil, which we see not how to escape or put by that provokes fear and rouses the lion. And therefore, the saints in glory are perfectly freed from fear because they are out of the reach of all danger. Nor do we that are here in the midst of evils fear them till we see them approaching us and we see not how to avoid them. This concludes part two of John Flavel's A Practical Treatise of Fear.